Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. So first verse, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. There's two extremes with this. One extreme is with the Roman Catholic priesthood. Uh, They teach celibacy for priests, and so they'll forbid any of them to marry, and they do the same thing with uh, with their nuns, not they're, they're to remain celibate their entire life. And so that's one extreme. That's not biblical. Um, the New Testament Christianity, you can't forbid somebody to marry. Um, but there is another extreme. If we can, uh, if we can uh, pick on the Baptist uh, flavor for a minute, where some will, uh, you, you can't get married unless you have their permission. <laughs> and certainly people, young people should counsel with their pastor, their parents first. <laughs> uh, you don't want to uh, not get counsel and you don't want to not get warnings. We also have to be careful that we don't cross the line and now start violating this passage. And, you know, next thing you know, no one is you know, no one's spiritual enough to marry the girl or vice versa. Um, Remember that we looked in chapter number three, look at verse number two uh, for church leadership in first Timothy chapter three, it says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. So the new Testament obviously gives an allowance for bishops and deacons and elders and preachers to marry. That is certainly biblical. Uh, Go to Hebrews 13, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews 13, verse number four. Hebrews 13, four, the Bible clearly says that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Uh, The New Testament and Christianity is all about Marriage, that's how we populate, that's how we train families, and that's how we, uh, we grow. So that is, that's an honorable thing. But there is one warning that we should heed, and let's go to that warning concerning marriage. And young people, you should really pay attention to this one, please. Go to 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Be careful of any denomination, any preacher, anybody that would forbid marriage, but pay attention and take heed to what God says and to those that would point you to this verse concerning a warning on marriage. Second Corinthians six. Let's read verses 14. The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. God does tell us if you're a Christian, you should not marry an unchristian. That's not wise. God commands us not 
to do that. And young people will, you, you know, use spiritual arguments that really aren't that spiritual to get around this. Well, I'm looking at this as a mission, a missionary dating, and I'm going to try to win my, uh, you know, husband or my wife over before we get married. And, and if they don't, they go ahead and move forward with it. God don't really want us to do that. Well, let me just say plainly, God doesn't want us to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that two unsaved people can still get saved after they're married and go on for God. And that's a beautiful miracle, and God can certainly do that. But if you are a believer, the ideal plan, God's way is that you would marry a, a, another believer. All Remember we talked about what was Ahab's problem when we were talking about Elijah in the Old Testament? Ahab's main problem was that he married a pagan, and it messed him up. And if you want to get young fellas that want to do something for God and they marry a pagan woman, forget it. They're going to be in a hot, hot mess. Let's continue to read in 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, be not equally, unequally yoked, rather, together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? God gives a real clear word picture on why not. And what conquered hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? See all these contrasts he gives to explain why you shouldn't marry or be yoked together with an unbeliever? And then finally, verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So that is the warning. Don't. Don't do it. Say, well, he's he's good looking or she's good looking. Don't do it. Everybody doesn't stay as good looking as they are when they're 20. You get he's gonna have to be something more than just looks. <laughs> You're gonna have to take an inward look, not just the outward look. All right, back to first Timothy. Here's another problem that arises, especially in Romanism. First Timothy chapter four. After it says forbidding to marry, then it, then it says commanding to abstain from meats. I'd like to contrast here with the Roman Catholic forbiddance of it. But also I want to be, uh, I want to draw out this contrast. We have some Baptists that kind of go too far with the overindulgence. There needs to be a limit on the amount of food that we eat. Um, we still understand that gluttony is a sin, right? It is. Um, but the Roman Catholic Church will forbid its members to eat meat, especially during what they would call the time of Lent. It is 40 days before Easter. It's actually 46 days, but Lent is considered 40 days minus the Sundays. And during that time leading up to Easter Sunday, uh, every Friday that comes up during that time, they don't eat meat. They uh, forbid their members to eat meat. You're not allowed. You must abstain. And their reasoning is that because Christ, they say, died on Good Friday. I believe he died on Wednesday. But anyway, they say Good Friday, that Christ died 
and he sacrificed his body of flesh. And so therefore you are going to abstain from eating any type of meat or flesh during Friday. And it's a, it's an abstinence. And it is actually in their view, a form of penance and uh, working and earning favor with God when they do that. So um, let's go and see what the Bible says about that. We saw in first Timothy four, that we need to understand that doctrines of devils are somebody tells you to abstain from eating something. That's a doctrine of, of the devil. That's what we get out of first Timothy four. Um, but look at Acts chapter 10 and get Romans 14. Peter's praying. He becomes hungry. Um, he saw heaven open in verse 11 and, um, uh, here's his vision. Verse number 12, let's start at. It says, Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So Peter don't want to eat because he thinks that, oh boy, this must be something wrong with this. And verse 15, the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And so we see Peter gets the go ahead, and so do we, that you can kill and eat. It is, it is absolutely okay. There would be nothing um, unclean about that or unscriptural about it as well. I also ask you to go to Romans 14. Let's look at that verse. Romans 14, verse number 17. The Bible says, for the kingdom of God, by the way, that's a spiritual kingdom that's within. And this verse says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Um, no man should judge you in meat or drink. Um, in India, they will let, I mean, people will starve and they won't slaughter a cow to eat. <laughs> it's strange because they worship that, the cow. Very, very odd. Um, you have some that believe in reincarnation. They won't eat meat because and I don't think some of them won't. They don't even want you killing insects because, well, that could be one of their relatives that was brought back or reincarnated. And now if you kill them that, you know, they don't like that. So there's some weird stuff that goes on with food. Um, if coffee doesn't agree with you, don't drink coffee. If red meat doesn't agree with you, then don't eat red meat. But if it doesn't agree with you, don't make that a doctrine for me if, if I go out hunting and, and, and kill some venison. So God gives the allowance for, for eating. You can eat what you want. Hold your place, if you would, in Romans 14 and go uh, back to 1 Timothy 4. Hold your place in Romans 14 because we'll come back there in a minute.
First Timothy chapter four. Um, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And here's what's important. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. You see that every creature of God, you can kill the creatures and then eat the creatures there. It's okay. Every creature of God is good. So the Old Testament Levitical diet, I think it's Leviticus 11 or it, it's in there somewhere, but all that, Le, that Levitical diet, it's not for New Testament Christians. So you don't have to follow that. Now, if you eat shellfish and it causes your face to, you know, your throat to swell up, um, my, I mean, my brother can't eat it. It's, his throat will swell up. So, okay, don't eat it. But he doesn't think that I'm sinning against God if I eat it. It's just if he does, he's going to swell up. And also that Levitical diet wasn't, it was never for any Gentile, even in the Old Testament anyway. Anyway, it was for that nation, the Jewish people. Um, ask you to hold your place in Romans 14. Go back there. Romans 14. <clears throat> Look at verse 14. It says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And when you look at the verse before it, it talks about a stumbling block putting in front of a brother. And, you know, if you lead somebody to the Lord um, and, and they got saved out of Hinduism um, or they got sent, saved out of Seventh-day Adventism and their whole life was based upon their diet, making them right or not right with God. Well, if, you, if they get saved and now you go out to lunch with them, for the sake of not causing them to stumble, it may be a good idea to just not eat what they don't eat just to kind of keep the fellowship going. Why? Because they're a weaker brother. They're a weaker sister. They've spent their whole life being told you can't eat this. This is wrong. So we just kind of take the higher ground and not and not do that. But but verse number 14 says there is nothing that's unclean in and of itself. Okay, so all food for a New Testament Christian, it's it's okay to eat. It says nothing to be refused. And by the way, all that God does is good. We all know the saying, you know, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, right? We all know that everything that he does is good. It's just we mess it up. Um, people say, well, music is, is worldly. Yeah, but there is music that's godly. Well, business, it can be worldly. Yeah, it is, but you could actually be a godly businessman. 
and we fill in the blanks with stuff and we say, well, that's worldly, that's worldly. Well, everything is in the world is worldly. It's just, what are we going to, what are we going to do with it? What are you going to allow to come through the TV screen? What are you going to allow to come through the computer or the cell phone? Or what are you putting on social media or letting in? It's all worldly. It's all going to perish. But is what you are doing, is it going to be glorifying to God? Is it going to be honoring to God? All things that God does is good. And so the same idea with food. It's the same idea. Um, when you're looking at First Timothy, um, God does give a qualifier. Anytime you use the word if or God does, it means... Um, there's a qualifier here. It says for every creature in verse four of God is good and nothing to be refused. If, if it be received with thanksgiving. And I, I, it, it's probably a struggle for you. It's a struggle for me. And maybe just, you know, maybe this year's just, well, it, it is what it is. Look, if you're at work, you can complain or grumble, or you can be a happy servant. We have choices. Uh, at church, we can murmur or gossip, or we can find something to agree on and fellowship around. Um, with our friends, we can um, just constantly take from them, or we can kind of be a good friend and joyfully contribute somehow uh, as well. Um, with others, we can just kind of force what we want, or we can kind of get some input from, from them. It's... It's a spirit of thanksgiving on one side and then a spirit of, well, it's just me on the other. And I've been there. I'm sure you have as well. We should kind of get back to the thanksgiving side. That's the where that's where God wants us to be. We want to receive what God has given us, not just food, but everything that he's given us. We should be we should be thankful. Uh, nothing to be refused if, if it is received with thanksgiving. Um, there's some things you can't receive with thanksgiving. You wouldn't drink poison, would you? No. So you stay away from alcohol. That's because that's what it is. That's poison. You don't say, hey, thank God for the alcohol and then drink, drink it up. No. That is something that can't be refused. God wants us to, he wants us to refuse strong drink. It's going to hurt us. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's read a verse from Psalms 104. Psalms 104. And then also Titus 1. And keep your finger in 1 Timothy 4. Psalms 104, Titus chapter 1. Psalms 104, verse number 13. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, 
that he may bring forth food out of the earth. God created the earth and he has given us dominion over uh, and provision over tilling it, managing it, growing food. And, you know, we work the garden and we think that we grow the food, but really God does it. And, you know, what's really interesting about that is that it's not like that's just for Christians. There are many ungodly farmers. There are many ungodly people who go to the grocery store and buy produce from godly farmers who grew it. God is so good that the earth that he created, he allows food for everybody, ungodly and godly. That's a gracious God. That's a gracious God. There was a point in America where ungodly, unsaved people in America would at the very least just bow their head and have a moment of silence before they ate food. If you've gone out and eaten lately, which I'm sure you have, we all do at times, I don't see it as much anymore. It used to be common habit. Now, not so much. Titus 1, look at that. Titus chapter 1, look at verse 15. Titus 1 and verse 15, it says, Under the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing poor. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. You're saved, right? All food to you is pure. All the things that you do should be uh, should have uh, an umbrella of purity over it. But if you have an impure heart, you're just going to find impure things. And so wicked men just defile all things. If you have the indwelt Holy Spirit, you should be led and guided, guided by that. All right, let's go back. First Timothy and chapter number four. Um, you wouldn't think this is a thing. It's it's not a thing uh, here. It, I've got nobody in mind here. It, it doesn't happen. It hasn't happened here, um, but it, it has happened in Christian circles and at, it happens at churches. People will get on a diet and they'll get real excited about that diet. And they're going to want you to follow that diet. And if you don't follow that diet, they might get upset or offended that you're not following the diet that they think all Christians should follow. <laughs> the Daniel diet. And I mean, there's a bunch of books that were written, you know, all. OK, great. If you want to do that, great. Have at it. But when there's a fellowship and there's some hot dogs that are being cooked, the kids are going to want to eat hot dogs and then. Dorito chips and they're going to want to drink soda pop and if you want to eat the organic popcorn have at it but don't you just don't don't look down on those that are eating the Doritos because you think that they're not really treating their body like God would want them to treat their body God said 
you do you guys have do you have food that you like? Milani, do you have favorite foods? Yeah. Chris, you have favorite foods? We all do, right? Do you know why we have favorite foods? Because God gave us taste buds. It's okay to enjoy food. It's okay to eat something and say, you know, yeah, that tastes good. I like that. So you can have some enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy food. And he put it here in the Bible, and we're, t- we're talking about it tonight. Verse 5, 1 Timothy 4, verse number 5. Um, if we receive a thanksgiving, then verse 5, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Your food, when you pray over your food, now it's sanctified. <laughs> okay? God gave you the allowance. Go ahead and pray. God provided it to you. He gave you permission to eat it. And it would not only be improper, but I really believe it would be unholy for a Christian to not thank God for his or her food before they eat it. We should take some time to thank God. For it is sanctified by the word of God and what? Prayer. That's why we pray before we eat. And whatever we are going to eat, God wants us to pray and receive it by thanking him. Be grateful and thankful that he provides us food and drink. Do you have an appetite? Thank the Lord. Do you have something to eat? Thank the Lord. You know, there's some people that live in Haiti that it's just their life is always going to be a hard life. They're always going to have a mud hut. They're maybe going to go into town once a month to buy groceries and rice and all that thing, all that type of thing. And they're going to live a hard agrarian life. Their family's going to stick together and they're going to have to grow their food. I'm betting that they probably spend a little more time praying than the average American that can go right through Wendy's and in five minutes get a thousand calories and be more than full, more than full. You've got something to eat. Um, Isaiah, do you use your hands to eat or do you have to use your, your feet? Do you, do you have arms to you? Thank the Lord that you can use a fork and a spoon and a knife to be able to consume your food. There are some people that don't have that. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I have an appetite. Thank you, Lord, that I have food to eat. Thank you, Lord, that I can feed myself. There's going to come a day where the whole thing's going to flip. You know, you're feeding your kids oatmeal when they were little tots and You know, some of us are going to be in the nursing home and they're going to be feeding us oatmeal. And Right? We can feed ourselves and we take that for granted, but we should thank the Lord. We really should. God's the giver. We should be thankful for what he gives to us. Let's go to Psalms 145. Psalms 145. Bible says in verse number 15, Psalm 145, verse number number 14. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, 
and thou givest them their meat in due season. Now, if somebody gave you a gift, I'm guessing you would say, thank you. When you have that meal show up on your table or that crop come up from the ground in your garden, I'm assuming that all of us would say, thank you, Lord, for what you, you, it says, thou givest them their meat. God, thank you for the food. Thank you for the crops. Thank you for the meat. Thank you for the money to buy the food. And when you go out to eat and the waitress comes over and she gives you your food and she places it nice and it's, you know, I used to, I did restaurant work before I uh, did anything and it was very important. You had to have that ornamental kale that nobody eats. To me, it was a waste. I mean, no one's eating it, but they wanted that ornamental kale on every dish just to make it look nice. So when the waitress came out or the waiter came out, it was all about plate presentation. They wanted it. They wanted to sit down. And when the waiter or the waitress gave them their meal, they wanted them to look at that and then look at them and say, thank you. And they didn't even cook it. It's the cooks that are back there cooking it. They're just coming out smiling. Look at this. And, that, and, and, and what happens is when you and I go out to eat, we look at the waiter or waitress and we say, thank you. None of us would ever say, all right, now get out of here. And then just, we wouldn't. But if we say thank you to that waitress or waiter, and then we just dive into that food, and we forget about God, we're kind of, well, we're not kind of, we are treating him like we would never treat the waiter or waitress. And God is the one who gave us all of that. We really should be thankful we, to God. Uh, give him thanks and praise. I'll leave you with this story I felt was fitting. Um, there was a Christian man. He was a boss of a rather, a, a rather large company. But he was really saddened that none of his workers would give thanks to God during the time that they took lunch break. And he had set up a nice executive uh, conference room where the staff would have lunch. So he came up with a, with a great idea. He made up this big lunch spread for all of his staff to enjoy. And he knew that none of them would take the time to ask for a blessing. But this really bothered him. So what he did was secretly he invited a beggar off the streets in for the lunch. And just as they started to eat, in walks this poor beggar. He's got grungy clothes on. He smells. He looks horrible. He should not be in an executive setting. So he grabs the best seat at the head of the table and he starts digging in and diving in. And he's just having a great time. He hadn't ate that good in who knows how long. And all of the, all these execs are like, this guy, come on, what is going on? They were just taken back and they were upset. But the boss remained silent the entire time. And then without a word, after the beggar filled his belly, he just storms out of the conference room. And after he leaves the room, one of the employees says to the boss, what a despicable act that man did. Another person, another worker said to the boss, how ungrateful can that beggar be? Finally, another one said, 
It's so rude for that man to just barge in here and start eating our food. He doesn't even say thank you to us. So calmly, the Christian boss, he spoke up and with much earnestness said this, gentlemen, ungrateful, rude, and more despicable than this beggar have you all been. And he said, I have given you food in this conference room every day for you to feast on. And not once have any of you bowed your head and thanked God for the food that he's provided. Now, I don't know if this story is a true story or not, but it sure does make the point that we can see it in others. I don't like that conduct. We pick it out in others. God wants us to pick it out in ourselves. And I'm as guilty as anybody. <laughs> well, that person shouldn't be doing that. And well, what are you doing? And the abundance that we have should supply a more abundant heart of thanksgiving. And has anybody noticed that the price of food really went up? Are we still able to buy the food? Somehow God provides the money. Now, now we might not be able to buy as much, but typically we still have enough money to buy at least half. Most of us overeat anyway. We don't need 10,000 calories or 6,000 calories or even 5,000 calories a day. But most Americans can afford that to consume. We only really need 2,000 calories. I mean, 1,500 you can live off of. 1,000, some people in third world countries, I mean, live off of. Try to eat 1,000 calories. Two eggs, two pieces of bread, and some orange juice. Well, there goes 350 right there. <laughs> You're almost halfway done for the day, and it's only 9 o'clock. <laughs> That's Ethiopia. That's Haiti. That's some areas where they can't afford to purchase or grow more than a thousand calories to consume each day. We can afford 10 times that. I hope our heart is 10 times grateful for what we have. So wrap it up. God says, look, you've got food. You can eat it. I want you to receive it. I want you to enjoy it, but make sure you receive it with thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.